The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Where the fuck did my coffee go? Oh, it's in Rachel Polk's hand. I thought that coffee was dog shit. It is. I just really like taking things away from Marcus, like his happiness and his freedom. Addict. Um, Did you hear that? Rachel said she likes to take your your freedom. She can't. My blood is freedom. (laughs) Gross. All right, here we go. All righty, welcome to Super Skull Vault of Midnight's new Comic Day Audio Digest. This week. I, Marcus Schwimmer, am your host. That's true. That's actually really unfortunate. No, No. it's exciting. Mm. And I'm joined this week by... Curtis Sweet Baby Sullivan. And... Rachel Pork. Well, welcome. As Liz has been calling me. Welcome, Rachel Pork and Curtis Sweet Baby. You gotta have a new nickname. You're right. Uh, Somebody called me that the other day, so it it re-got in my head. You guys have... We have all really fallen off the uh, nickname train. Dig this, though. I was having a thought earlier. I'm going to spring it on you. Mm-hmm. When you get old, will your nickname be <laughs> AARP? Oh, oh, nice. That's good. Huh? Okay. Or yeah, it could be because she's from Ann Arbor. That's right. That's, it's Ann Arbor, Rachel Paul. But I like my current name, which is RPG. RPG is not bad, yeah. which mm-hmm. stands for Rocket Propelled Grenade. I think it's Rachel Polk Gangsta. She's like the OG. Ray, one, it's one Rachel of them. Rachel Polk, comma. I think, uh, Curtis, yeah. at one point you gave me the best nickname that I've ever had, which oh. was, uh, the you called me the terror assaulter, the one woman war on terror. Well, that, that that's what you one. are, so, yes. yeah. That's a or, little on the nose, though, you know what I mean? Or Two-Face. Yeah, speaking of that, Rachel's back again this week. Mm-hmm. Um, we've realized, we've come to the realization that essentially we have to let... Rachel Polk be on the podcast whenever she wants. And do yeah. whatever she wants, yeah, basically. After after vocalizing our thoughts last week about how much dirt Rachel has on us <laughs> from all the unreleased Super Skull audio footage. Yeah. The Super Skull black file. The black file. And I actually have a black file on my yeah. computer that's she, just you guys. She essentially is in control of our futures. Mm. Like if, if Rachel, if one of us was to run for office. Yeah, no, or fuck you. essentially try to be in front of a camera in any limelight that's not, you know, true TV prison stories, Rachel could 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 bury us. She yeah. could bury us. Yeah, exactly. Well, here's the thing. Let's talk money before you do anything like, you know, brash. You know, don't just put, you know, let's have a conversation right. about money and things first. I mean, I like money so. and things. Well, here we are. We're going to talk about what today? Some news. Um, so I'm not a big horror comic reader. Um, it's not my, my genre of choice. But I have really been enjoying this one series, Har- uh, Harrow County. Yes. Have you guys yes. Been reading it? It is mm-hmm. very good. Well, Sci-Fi just announced via their blog that they're picking up. In producing a Harokani uh, TV show. That's nice. awesome. Very exciting. I do not have much faith in the sci-fi channel, but that being said, they did do Battlestar Galactica. My, so, yeah. you no, know. They, I, allegedly, they've been doing better lately. But, you know, whenever I hear these announcements, my favorite thing about it is, is I hope Colin Bunn and his co-creators on that book got a nice paycheck. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Whether or not the show's any good, hopefully it's great and it goes on to much success. Uh, but, man, I love when a, a comic... Crew, get some money. Yeah, for the comic book. And this is really where the money's at. Like you don't, if you're putting out a book that's doing, you know, kind of okay. Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not raking it, it in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, it's these TV deals that really. It's nice. Spike it up. I know that there's a there's a rumor that Runaways is going to have a Hulu show. I've heard. I've heard. Brian, sim- Brian K. Vaughn, Marvel Comics. Yeah. Runaways? Ooh. I've heard that there's. Uh, yeah, I've heard similar things. Quite honestly, like I'd be more excited about those characters making a comeback in the comics than a TV show about them. Yeah. I could see Netflix doing a good job on it. Well, I've heard also that they might tie it into Agents of Shield. Aha. Uh-huh. Which mm-hmm. would be because mm-hmm. the Inhumans thing isn't really panning out right now. I see. Um, you know they. they Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started, they did the Inhumans run because we thought Inhumans, the movie, was coming out. Right. That's now been pushed back for other cinematic developments. So they're looking at Runaways and thinking about making it its own just kind we of regular TV show. Ghost Rider? Is that also on the, the docket? The big deal for S.H.I.E.L.D. season four? That's right. I D- see. Digging into Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. I think it's going to work out. 
We'll see. Yeah, Runaways doesn't need to be Netflixed. I think it, I think Runaways is strangely mature. Yeah, and I but, mean strangely, but I think it's a, it's a PG thirteen. It's also yeah. not you Netflix know? that's talking about it. It's Hulu, right? And it's oh. Hulu that's making the big push. So that's you know there take you it or leave it. It is what it is. We'll see. Cool. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but Image Comics has made an announcement that it's moving its corporate headquarters from Berkeley, California. To Portland, Oregon. Nice. Port- Everything's in Portland. Literally, uh, like there's uh, Portland is kind of rebranding itself as Comic City USA. I love that. It's- so in Portland currently, Dark Horse and Oni Press have been there for a while. Yes, and have set up um, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is something we should really get into at some point because they're they're so important. Super to the neat industry. organization. But yeah. they moved from New York City to Portland just recently, Meet. being like, "Hey, rent in New York's pretty expensive," and a lot of comic creators are living in Portland, so that's where we're going to head. And now Image is making the drive over to Portland as well. Hmm. That'd be pretty so. cool. Have some some cool, like, comic parties well, in Portland. Man. That's what that's part of what the article was saying, is that, like, you can do stuff over email, you can have video conferences, but Image wants to be at the bar with these comic creators. Yeah. They want to have those meetings. They want to have those chance encounters and see all the art. Moreover, because there are a lot of comic creators living in Portland, a lot of aspiring comic creators are moving to Portland. That so makes sense. I think it's fascinating. That's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, Image Comics moving to Portland. Um, I think it's the coolest thing. Cool. I've got uh, some bat developments I'd love to talk to you guys about. Please do. So dig this. I read a lot of Batman, and in the last couple of weeks, there's been new stuff that I've never seen. Multiple things. In a Batman comic. And you have a pretty good backlog of information here on the Bat universe. Read thousands of pages, tens of thousands of pages. And you're saying that, like, right now, if you're reading Batman, Detective Comics, anything tied into the Bat family, they're molding new canon. They're, they're dropping some stuff that I'm really liking. Talk to me, Goose. So dig this. Alfred Pennyworth, in issue five of the Tom King run of Batman... Dresses up as the Batman, and you, I, I, I was when you mentioned this, I was thinking back. I don't think I've ever seen Alfred dress up in the Batman. No, and he's actually driving the Batmobile. Yeah. He's in decoy mode. He's much thinner than the Bee Man. He doesn't work out quite as much, so the Bat suit is kind of ill-fitting on him. Right, and he's got that kick-ass Alfred uh, mustache. pencil mustache. Here's the thing about Alfred: wonderful. He's not just a butler. Oh, no. He's a mentor. He is. He's a Shakespearean actor. He's a chef. He's a chef. He's a former spy for the British SAS. French Foreign Legion. The Pennyworth family is the premier butler family, and it's because they can do it all. Yeah, he. Uh, there's a moment where he has to pretend to be Batman, and he's like, it is I, the Dark Knight, returning. And, uh, I like to imagine that in Alfred's spare time, when he's just really bored and he's like alone in the house, he just puts on the bat suit and just kind of like does his chores he, and dances around. He acts it's in like front of the mirror. The flowing cape. You know, he's like, I am Batman. My parents. I don't, I don't think. <laughs> it is I. I don't think Alfred's got that much downtime. I think he's a busy dude. So that was totally cool. That happened in uh, Batman number five. Uh, there's uh, in Action Comics, it was revealed that there is a bat cave on the moon. Now, Curtis. In theory, <laughs> what? This, this, yeah. this sounds kind of stupid. It's so fresh. How, how do they do it and make it cool? So what check it out. Fuck? So Superman and his son in Action Comics, we talk about a bunch. They're fighting the Eradicator. The Eradicator is like this Kryptonian defense system that'll like kill any impure, not fully Kryptonian half-breeds. So which, they're, they're coming after Jonathan. Correct. Jonathan Kent, son of Superman and Lois Lane. This is pre-52 Superman. <laughs> yes, it, I know. Uh, anywho... They go to the moon, and Superman's like, hey, man, we're going to go over to the Batcave on the moon. It's Bruce showed me this, and we're going to use it to, uh, for our purposes. And you're like, what? Go in the sweet Batcave on the moon, dig this, robo-bats. Because you can't have right. regular bats on the moon, but you need bats in a Batcave. Kick-ass <laughs> robo-moon bats. So yeah. what the hell? Uh-huh. What other aesthetics are in this moon, this moon Batcave? He's got all kinds of sweet, so it, it's the moon base, so he's got like spacey-type gadgets. He's got a suit called the Hellbat which is this totally dope, like, super spacesuit Batman suit that Lois Lane has to put on and fight the Eradicator in. Awesome. It's so fresh. Are you giving away spoilers right now? Yeah, pretty much. You should wow. read this comic anyways. That's awesome. Um, so, and dig this. Uh, in the second issue of the new hyphen Superman, Gene Yang's Superman comic about Keenan Kong, awesome. the new Chinese Superman, uh, it's revealed that the Chinese Batman has what's known as the BUV. What does BUV stand for? It's the Bat Utility Vehicle. 
And it's like a kick-ass yes. SUV-looking Batmobile. Oh, nice. Yeah, the BUV. So, uh, the Bove. The Bove, exactly. So, I've loved all these nice reveals in the Bat universe. And lastly, I will say that uh, there's a Ben Affleck Bat movie coming out, and they've revealed the villain. Who's the villain? He's one of my favorite all time DC villains Deathstroke. The oh, I Terminator. was hoping you were going to say it's Two Face so that I could say, It's me! I'm the villain! No, it's Deathstroke. Damn it. Oh. And that's this week in Batman. Thanks for the bat updates, Curtis. Yeah. We need to call them something cooler than that. Oh, I love bat update. So every week, there Bruce Wayne goes out and he scouts a number of locations for new bat caves. Planets. You can never have too many bat caves. You can't. The comics that we've picked today are much like those premium exotic locations that you must have a bat cave in. Huh? How did it? Huh? No, Nick's gonna be so disappointed well, in you. Let him be disappointed. All right, it's not bad. Rachel, what was your big pick for the week? Oh, my big pick is a new book by Jeffrey Brown. It is called Lucy and Andy Neanderthal. Look at me picking an all ages book. That's never happened before. I'm so surprised. <laughs> so I'm just realizing now that it says Lucy and Andy Neanderthal. Their last name is Neanderthal. Their they brother are, and sister. They are Neanderthals. They are brother and sister Neanderthals. This is a book by Jeffrey Brown, who you might know from. Uh, the Jedi Academy books. Um, he also created the Vader and Son books, which have yes. really made their way around the internet. They're adorable. Agreed. Um, he is an Ignatz Award winner um, and a two-time Eisner Award winner. And actually from Grand Rapids, which I didn't know. Um, so Lucy and Andy Neanderthal is kind of a historical fiction book that teaches kids about um, cavemen and like how Neanderthals kind of survived in the wild. Um, and it documents like these two brother and sister who um, live in a cave together and they like to do things like hunt and find berries. And um, at the same time, it teaches you like, this is how cavemen made spears. This is why we know these things. This is how archeology span works. It's a very good educational book and also really, really cute. It talks about a woolly mammoth poop, it looks like. Oh, absolutely. Nice. And, yeah. and rocks? Oh, yes. Good rocks. I love Lots a, of rocks. I love a good rock talk. Yeah, it's, it's do, important. Do you? I do. Huh. Yeah. I like this guy with the, uh, there's a character in here. He looks like he's got like a really cool, like like a thin mustache. Oh, yeah. No. There, every um, generic person that you've ever met in your life is in this book. There's uh, the motherly mom. The manly dad who uh, thinks that he's a lot more manly than he actually is. And there's the whiny emo teenager who just wants to get the attention of all the girls. Nice. That's the guy with yeah. the pencil and mustache. Oh, yeah. It's, nice. a, it's a full cast of characters. Um, and it also uh, includes plenty of fun and furry animals. Uh, what's the age range you think on this bad I would say it's probably around like the eight or nine-year-old and up. Um, anybody who enjoyed those... Um, Jedi Academy books will absolutely be ready for this. Um, Jedi Academy is Jeffrey Brown's giant series, um, which is kind of like a Diary of a Wimpy Kid style book. It's right. half comic, half journal um, entry about this kid who's a Padawan. Um, and while this doesn't take on the journalistic style, um, it definitely breaks away from the storyline at certain points to specifically go out and teach you things. Which is very cool. There are not enough educational books, especially when it comes to subjects like this. Um, quite honestly, I don't think I can think of another book that is about Neanderthal. Well, I was going to say, I love cavemen, but like, I guess I love them in the sense of like, like Captain Caveman, that cartoon. <laughs> Remember Tukey? No. Oh, Tukey. That was a cool Jeff caveman Brown. comic. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. There's not... Not lots of ca not, not lots oh, of things no. featuring cave people. Tukey wasn't Jeff Brown, and he does Lucy and the Underthrall. Who uh, Bone? Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith. Thank you so there much. There we go. And Tukey started out as kind of we thought was going to be all ages, and then quickly, <laughs> it was not. Quickly revealed that it was not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that was a great book. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, awesome. By Jeff Smith. So Rachel's pick of the week is Lucy and Andy Neanderthal. By Jeff Brown. <laughs> it says it was, uh, it's based on a story of two kids from 40,000 years ago. Cave one. life is a pain. It seems like it would be. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. No yeah, video games nice. in the cave. Nobody likes it. Great. Cool. Uh, Thanks, Rachel. Curtis, what is your big pick for this week? I am excited to talk about this book. This is a new artist and writer 
that I uh, discovered this week. It's his first book in English. Uh, the book is called The Longest Day of the Future. This is Lucas Varelia. And, uh, Good name. Yeah. I am not familiar with this artist. Uh, turns out he's Argentinian and has a lot of work in his home country. Uh, but this is his first uh, translated book. This blew my mind, and I am going to follow uh, everything this guy does. I went on to his website. We're going to post a link to his blog, mm-hmm. which is outrageous. Uh, check that out in the show notes on uh, Super Skull Show. And, I have a uh, question, Curtis. Yeah. If this is his, this you said this is his first work that's translated. Yes. This whole book is silent. It's mostly it's it's almost exclusively word wordless. There's like five words. So take me through it. So dig this. All right. Imagine a perfect utopian future. Beautiful architecture, flying vehicles. Everybody's got a job. The streets are clean. Everything appears to be wonderful. You start to notice two distinct logos around this giant megaopolis that we find ourselves in. One is kind of like a smiling pig face, and the other is like a big grinning sort of bunny face. Nice. Uh, And it is revealed that there's two corporations that pretty much dominate the landscape and they provide everything for the people. Vehicles, energy, food, jobs, you name it, they provide it. Um, But these two companies are at war and they will do anything to destroy their rival. Corporate espionage, monsters, assassination robots, you name it. Mm. So the story starts with this uh, spaceship crash landing. And this injured, discombobulated alien gets out of his smash ship and he's wandering around with this weird uh, suitcase. And he gets picked up by these guys from one of these corporations and he gets uh, taken by gunpoint and interrogated. They steal his magic suitcase, which is revealed to be a very bizarre thing. I won't give that away because it's a great hook, but they decide they can use this suitcase to destroy the other company. Simultaneously, the other company is building a new super robot that they are going to infiltrate the other company with and destroy it. Sounds so dramatic. Um, so, and it, this thing is presented in the quirkiest, coolest way. The story is, like we've said, almost 100% wordless. There's like one or two sound effects. Mm-hmm. There'll be a word or two. Um, but the best way to describe this is is literally, it's like Terry Gilliam's Brazil. This is a movie about a corporate future where you can't do anything without filling out forms and getting them stamped. And if you don't have your insurance for your insurance, for your, you know, requisition, for your stamp, you can't, you know, do anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your position in life is totally locked. There's no movement. You're given a job. That's your job. Um, So there's this oppressive sort of, there's this cool thing in the future where you got everything you need, but nothing you want. And there's, there's no desire. There's no movement. So there is sort of this kind of sadness to the whole thing. Um, but then it also has this really kind of cute story about a guy who wants to just go on vacation one time, and uh, we'll see how that works out for him. But uh, yeah, it's like Terry Gilliam's Brazil meets uh, Jimmy Corrigan. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, it's like Chris Ware. It's got this bright, vibrant palette. The art is so mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, it was sublime. I am absolutely in love with this. This is one of the best graphic novels I've read. It's, I'm super excited to have discovered this artist, writer. And can't wait to see what else he does. Uh, I think he's got a Vertigo book uh, coming up for DC, or at least a short story in, in Vertigo, uh, which is a DC, the DC imprint. So uh, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, panel work in particular, as I was flipping through it, is really interesting. It's it's stunning. Yeah, yeah, really it, well laid out. Yep, and you and you get such a full, rich story out of this thing somehow with no words. This guy's art just does all the heavy lifting, and. Uh, yeah, by the end of it, uh, if you take your time and really drink it in, you will be blown away. So you read the whole thing last night? I did. How, how long did you put into it? Uh, so it took me about an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah, two hours maybe. Yeah. And I kept flipping back to see stuff because uh, each panel is very intricate. It's easy to kind of, you, you know, it's like a wordless comic. You could rip through it. Right. But if you, if you dial it down and take it slow, you're going to get all kinds of nice little juicy bits. How would you describe this artwork to me? You know, it's just a, a really crisp and clean... Uh, look, I mean, if you've ever seen Jimmy Corrigan, I know that doesn't do uh, much, but it, it's very uh, simple, mm-hmm. but very elegant. It's very soft. Like, there are no edges to this. Everything is round. Yeah, and there's no primary colors. Nope. You know, the, it, there's reds and blues, but they're not, they're not primary. Yeah, everything's very soft. Yep, and muted. 
Uh, I love it. And there's this Orwellian thing going on, too, where, like, people are watching and there's cameras around and, you know, uh, the eyes of logos move and, a, you know, an eyeball looks around at whatever everybody's doing. So there is this sort of Orwellian spooky future thing going on, too. I freaking loved it. Looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, all about it. This is Fantagraphic Books. It's a beautiful hardcover. This dude just put out quality book after quality book. Fantagraphics. Yeah, they really don't have time to do any doo-doo. It's it, it's just fascinating to me because like um you know even the best companies will have a miss every once in a while but Fantagraphics it seems like at least for the last two years it's just been quality book after they know what they're book. doing they 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 have it really dialed it, in it's extremely curated you know they're they're not going for market share you know they have obvious bills to pay like any other company mm-hmm. of course but they they are curating the shit out of their releases they cleaned house at the Eisners and it shows yeah. This is The Longest Day of the Future, Lucas Varelia, and uh, give it a look. This was stunning. What a great discovery. I'm so glad I read it, and I can't wait to see what else this guy does. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that was my big pick. Well, I read some stuff this week as well. What? You read comics this week? I know. It's weird. I don't buy it. I'm actually picking a manga, uh, which is not my normal thing, but I've really been, the last couple months, I've been trying to hone in on my manga game. I've noticed that. Um, It started, uh, Fruits Basket got re-released. Uh, it was a manga that I was really into when I was in high school, like early high school. Yeah. Um, had been waiting for it, been trying to find copies. Finally, they re-released it, dove back into it, and was like, oh, I, I remember why I really dig this stuff. And since then, I've been kind of on this quest to expand my manga palette. So this week, I dove into the book My Hero Academia. Um, and, and this is a comic about a superhero who's really good at math. Exactly. How did you know? Actually... It's about a world in which most people have some form of superpower. Oh. They're called quirks. Okay. And as you grow, everyone kind of, uh, you you know, when you hit puberty, your quirk reveals itself. But uh, a small percent of the population doesn't have that. Oh. And it has to do with a uh, having a double jointed in one of their uh, toes. If you have one double jointed toe? Yep. You, hmm. For some reason, the gene won't click, and you won't get your quirk. Interesting. So our main our main character is is sadly one of those people, no superpowers. Quirkless. It's quirkless. Mm. But his mom has a superpower. His dad, and he just has decided that even though these doctors tell him that he doesn't have a quirk, he is going to do everything in his power to be the best superhero of all time. And he's gone on this quest to just, like, be educated. But he's relentlessly mocked by his classmates. Uh, They all have superpowers. They all have superpowers. And are all trying to go to, like, essentially superhero high school. Hmm. Um, A special high school that only admits the most powerful and most uh, potential superheroes. So they're only, like, uh, they're exceptional in the fact that they have superpowers. But, like, it doesn't help them not be, like, high school, like... Stupid faces. Absolutely correct. Bummer. And then something truly amazing happens. The kind of the Superman of this universe, he goes by All Might. Is his name? All Might. All Might. He has all the might. I'm just, I, my first thought was just he's very tiny and like the size of a mite and doesn't do anything. <laughs> no, it's actually really cru- cool. They draw All Might, the artist draws All Might in a very American comic book style. The huge muscles. Huge jacked uh, muscles. What's his Big hair. hair. Yes, nice. You know, so, and everyone else is drawn in a pretty traditional uh, does manga he, style. Does he wear skin tight, like L- leotard yep. type? And he's the only one who really wears the spandex zip suit. Nice. Um, underwear over his tights? You know, I don't know if he has underwear over his. He might. Does he have a cape? He does not have a cape. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, but he's definitely inspired by 90s American comic books. Oh, good. Um, and he, oh, he, good. Yeah, he's got oh, this good. Suit. But uh, All Might encounters this young main character. Mm-hmm. And um, part of his ability is he can transfer his power to someone else. He can, what? He can forego it. And he has been gravely injured in a previous battle with a mighty foe. And so he thinks that his time is up. And he, and he bestows his power onto this young man who's never had superpowers before. Okay. And then takes on like a mentorship role for him. You love, you love mentorship roles. You love high school drama is what you love. Well, and th- what this book really is, is it's more of a... Um, it, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's kind of a, a beautiful montage, like a beautiful training montage 
Um, I love that. And it's really, really good. I The book has a ton of heart, which I'm all about. Mm-hmm. But what I really like about it is they're taking a uh, unique look at the, at the kind of the hero story and putting a spin on it. He acquires these powers, but maybe even though he's wanted to be a superhero his whole life, because he hasn't had those powers, he doesn't understand the responsibility that comes with it. That makes sense. Um, it's a wonderful book. There's nine volumes out right now. Viz is the one who has gotten the rights to distribution. Are there more in Japanese? There's nine in Japanese. They're translating them into English. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. The first one took me about 30 minutes to get through. There's all kinds of really cool, weird monster designs they use for the bad guys. I can mess with that. Um, do they fight, like, what kind of monsters do they fight? Are they, like, giant kaiju? Uh, well, there are, other, there are other super, because everyone has superpowers... There are other kind of just regular humans who, like, one of them has just, like, a shitty day at the office. It's just like, I can't take it anymore, brah. Right. And then, you know, starts breaking stuff. <laughs> because And this is just things that people are accustomed to at this point because everyone has these, like, right. really amazing powers. It's interesting that they take on the fact that, like, he, this kid has no powers and he's just shitty. But, like, if if you have no powers in a world where everybody has powers, then aren't you the unique one? Yeah, it's not viewed that way. And, mm. and maybe they'll get into that. But um, the idea is that if you don't have powers, like, you probably... You're a loser. Well, you probably have a hard time, like, finding a job. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? Because everyone else can either, like, you are super subpar. speed or, yeah. Right. Um, it's nice. It definitely has a little bit of an X-Men feel to it because you, it is a kind of a school story with all these special gifted people. Um, but it, it's really fresh and lighthearted um, but at the same time, packs a punch. Uh, it's out of a lot of the manga that I've read in the last couple months. It's it's definitely in my top three. Well, you've got me uh, psyched to check it out. I love this cover, yeah. man. You know, it's uh, for me. Like I, I've before this, I was reading One Punch Man, which is kind of the, the I would say the hottest manga of the moment. It's so damn good and funny yeah. and cool and smart. It, it, it is, and there's a little bit of that in My Hero Academia. But what I like about it, maybe more than One Punch Man is it's it's ensemble of characters um are all really different and and all have bring their own unique kind of dish to the table and uh i i think it's great i'm gonna just dive into it even more Mm. cool Um, but i i think it's right up there if you're into one punch man this this should be right at the top of your list to dive into you've convinced me it's absolutely phenomenal so yes my uh my pick of the week my hero academia um volume one volume one cool I was hoping that somebody would get the superpower that they would be like an uh, an exceptional human being, <laughs> just like the the most understanding. You know, just he's a good guy. My superpower is I am my empathy is up, my compassion is up, my understanding for other humans' unique situations is up. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, I will say All Might, even though he gives up his power, still continues to play a role in the story, um, as his non superhero self, and I think you'd love him. I think right. you would just be all about he once he takes on that mentorship role. It's got Curtis written all over it. <laughs> he's a real dadsman. Well, he'll like pop out at like the kid will be doing something that he shouldn't be doing, and he'll like pop out around a corner and be like, you know, should you really be doing that right now? It's just that beautiful manga thing <laughs> right. that we could never get away with <laughs> sure. in American comics, but it's just so goofy and fun. His Kill. his mentorship role. They do a really great job with it. Awesome. So there we. Go. What'd you read this week, Rachel? Uh, well, Black Panther Volume One is out. Nice. Finally. Um, actually, that came out like really quick. So if you missed like the first couple issues of Black Panther, read them. They're all smashed together. This is the first five. Yeah. Issues? Yeah. Also, um, Mike Bignola came out with another uh, The Witchfinder comic this week. Oh. Did either of you guys read that? I haven't read uh, the newest one. No. Dude, it's good. Um, I know Witchfinder has been around for for a little while now, and he works on it with uh, some other people. But it was super, super well done. That's the Witchfinder's one with the kind of the peg leg sea captain. No, he's like um, he's like a kind of like a British, uh, sleepy British Victorian era uh guy who just specifically hunts for like undead things. Got it. Yeah. No. And like the the paranormal, and people have dubbed him the Witchfinder. I see. Now I was under the impression that Mike Mignola was retiring, but it seems like like I heard I that, don't know if that's and possible. everyone freaked out about it. And then he's still coming out with stuff. Yeah, I don't know, man. If that 
Yeah, that guy in retirement still, he's going to only do four comics a month. He just instead continues of 12. Okay. to pump out. Because that was yeah. pretty big stuff. news a couple weeks ago that, like, Mignola's should be going to take more time to oil paint. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, no. But well, it seems I hope like he's, so. He's got, like, a new Hellboy com- book coming out. And so I, th- I think that was malarkey. Yeah, who knows? And that's the thing. That guy in retirement, again, is probably, yeah, only four comic books a week. Yeah. Another book that we all read this week was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe Number One, put out by IDW. Curtis, uh-huh. you, you uh, order for the comic shop. I do. You order all the comics that That's, come into Vault of Midnight. Uh-huh. You went bananas on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe Number One. I certainly did. What it, is, what's what's going on with TMNT right now? Let me tell you why I went bananas. Uh, so, uh, IDW's been destroying it on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're on, like, issue 60 of their monthly Turtles run. I'm gonna say it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Slightly controversial. I think it's the best Turtles run in comics literally ever, period, bar none, over the originals, over any previous iteration, IDW's Turtles run, de facto, my favorite. They did change some things. So that gets people a little loosey-goosey sometimes. Well, they mess with the origin a little bit. They did it just right. They also put out a little mini-series called Turtles in Time. They did. Right? And it was like... Killed. It killed. Yeah. It was just the best. Oh, they did a book called The Secret Origin of the Foot Clan. Oh, that was so good. That ties in the Triceratons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle nerds will be like... Loving this. The these are the Triceratop aliens. It ties in Krang. It ties in the uh, Aurora Aurora Saki, uh, the original like Nemesis, the Shredder. Everything in a nice little neat full circle, beautiful thing. They're just killing it. Uh, so that said, we've been trying to sell people the IDW Turtles to to decent effect, but this is a number one. So I we brought out the big guns. We ordered mm-hmm. a shelf full of it, and we're gonna go full ham bone. And get everybody on the Turtles train. And let's not forget how fucking awesome the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover was. It was stellar. It was so good. I had, if you like fun, if you like good times, and you definitely like Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, then then yeah. Yeah. Do it. That was a killer crossover. So this week for the taser, we decided that in in honor of this new release, this new number one, we're going to dive in into the origin of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This week on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Taser. Oh, so nice. That was good. That was very good. That was good. Nick would be proud of that one. The so, TMN Taser. So be- <laughs> before we get into it, uh, Curtis, just real quick. Uh-huh. If someone has been living under a rock. Uh-huh. Under a shell, even. Under a shell, and they don't know anything about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. what is the gist of this? these superheroes? Do you call them superheroes? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I guess maybe yeah. crime fighters. Yeah, they're vigilantes. vigilantes. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Uh, well, let's let's get into it. We're just going to go character by character. We'll start with Splinter, who is a rat who has been mutated. Uh, he's a ninja master. He learned the arts by watching his master. He literally in the cage before he's mutated. He's a rat. He's watching his master. He's learning all his ninja moves, which is super hilarious to me. Uh, the turtles and the ooze fall into Splinter's sewer home. Of course. His master's slain. That's a big, long story. Won't get into all of it. But he now lives in a sewer in New York City. Oh, my goodness. Wait, these turtles fell in the sewer with this this ooze. What's this? They all get mutated. Uh, he raises them, and he teaches them the martial arts. Uh, the turtles uh, are all named after uh, Renaissance artists. So first we have Leonardo. He's named after Leonardo da Vinci. He has katanas. He's the leader, and he's the most disciplined. He's the most level-headed. He wants to have a plan. You know, he wants to study. He wants to train. He's, you know, he's the uh, more adult turtle, if you will. Uh, Raphael, named after, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, but here we go. Raffaello Sanzio di Urbino, Vince. who is a uh, Renaissance painter. He wields the twin sigh, which is like a three-bladed sort of blade thing. Uh, he's a rebellious shit talker. That's my favorite. He's a hothead. He's yeah. ready to go. He's fuck a plan. He's gonna let's go kick some butt. Yeah, he's my favorite. Uh, that makes sense. I'm a Leonardo guy. Thirdly, we have uh, Donatello, named after Donato di Niculio di Bartobardi. I like how you did the the little Italian hand motions yeah, no, the, on this audio podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my dude wields the bow staff. He is uh, often referred to as the second in command, and he is 
the tech turtle. He's the brains of the operation. He is. He's cooking up the headgear. He's cooking up the radio communications. He's building the turtle vans and what have you, the pizza launchers, depending. Uh, and lastly, the fourth turtle, Michelangelo, named after Michelangelo di Ludvico Burnati. Wow. Sorry, everybody. Uh, he was a sculptor. Dig this. So this I did not know about Michelangelo. So he's huge. I did know this. But he's a sculptor, a painter, an architect, a poet, and an engineer. Uh -huh. A true renaissance man of the Jeez, renaissance. dude. All right. Fine. Uh, <laughs> so he's an awesome dude, and that's the namesake for this turtle who wields nunchucks. Uh, he is a fun-loving turtle and the youngest turtle. Uh, a fun fact about this guy is that his catchphrase at one point was, Booyakasha! which I did not know. That's amazing. I'm going to yeah. start using that around the show. No, please don't. So those are the Shredder. turtles. Those are Shredder. And then we got a few other characters. We got April O'Neil, who is a reporter. We got the villain of the series. His name is Shredder. He has a long history with uh, Splinter. They go back, depending on the origin story, many, many, many years. A fun fact, in the cartoon, he owned a pizza shop named Ninja Pizza. <laughs> weird. Yeah, very uh, weird. And then Nick's favorite turtles character... Absolutely, is Krang, who is an, a part of an alien race. He looks like a little, like what, like a brain? Yeah. And he sits in the belly of like a robot so Very he can cool. walk around. So there's the, the main characters of the turtles. That's, yeah. So those are all the turtles. Um, and then there's the dudes who made the turtles. Um, Kevin and Eastman and Peter Laird, they are the creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, the turtles were created in 1983 when Kevin Eastman was... He was, at the time, mostly working in restaurants and was just trying to get his personal mini-comics and, like, his own special artwork just printed anywhere that he could find it, whether it was newspaper or underground publishers. He just wanted someone who could take his strips. And simultaneously, in 83, um, Peter Laird was doing his artwork for various newspapers and illustrating for fanzines uh, such as the Oracle. Um... So Eastman became friends with Laird after moving to Massachusetts and still looking around for anyone who would take his work. And what happens when you smash two extremely creative types together with casual brainstorms, beer, and bad television? You get a parody of Daredevil, New Mutants, Dave Sims' Cerebus, and Frank Miller's Ronin. And that, that actually all makes sense. Yeah, I've never thought of that, those, uh, <laughs> that stuff together. But that's Kevin Eastman did an interview at one point where he like fully admits that they are a full-blown parody of these characters. That makes 100% sense. And the, yep. Dare, the Daredevil one is particularly um, intense. So after digging into this, um, the connections, and I, I never really realized this, but the connections between the two series are, is just... Immense. So, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the sensei, as Curtis said, his name is Splinter. Mm -hmm. Daredevil's mentor, Stick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I never made that connection either. <laughs> TMNT has the Foot Clan, the ninja, the ninja uh, kind of secret organization, where in Daredevil it is the hand. I, that's so funny. <laughs> Most importantly, the two characters share, like, a, it, I mean, an intentionally similar yeah. uh, origin story. So, um, Daredevil, as a young boy, he gets uh, toxic ooze dumped on him, uh, loses his sight, but gains all these senses. Yes, he pushes so, a man out of a way of a, of a, of a speeding truck, truck right, with course. some secret ooze in the back. Thanks, Matt Murdock. Yeah. The real hero. <laughs> so in TMNT, uh, something very similar happens, but the ooze comes and bounces off the boy's head. Which is... Which is Matt Murdock. Ma Matt Murdock in yeah. the Turtles comic, uh, yep. alluded to. Yeah, and then breaks into a bowl of turtles that fall... Into the sewer. Yes. So it's very intentional. Super funny. What kind of ooze would blind a human but create like these weird mutant turtles? Uh, it's a, it's called the mut mutagen. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Obviously. Silly yeah. me. And also like uh, with the, just even with the name. So like it, they're, when the name they're pulling together all these pieces of super popular comics at the time. Mm -hmm. So Teenage is Teen, New Teen Titans by Marv Wolfman. Oh. Mutant is obviously the X-Men. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, Ninja comes from Frank Miller's Dare, uh, Daredevil. Ronin. Ronin. And Daredevil. And Daredevil. Yeah. Um, and then the Turtles was... Uh, Just something fucking hilarious. Well, there was there was a big animal kind of craze going on at the time. Oh. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It all makes sense. When you, when you say it out loud, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> sure. And it's really interesting. Like, these guys were strapped... Or cash. So they, they get together, they kind of come up with this idea. 
that they're going to make a parody book. And that's what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one was. It was mm-hmm. a parody book. And um, they shop it around and it's not, you know, we're really also deep into the indie scene right now. Like the indie scene is starting to really get some legs. Um, and so they decide they, they are going to make their own studio. You said the the indie scene, the indie comic scene. The indie yeah. comic scene. Yes, yes. And this is before like all that drama that happened with Image Comics that we yes, talked about well last before. time. Well, this is the the mid eighties, mm-hmm. and Eastman and Laird create this studio called Mirage Studios, and they call it Mirage Studios because it was a mirage. They had no studio; it was their living room. It was Peter Laird's living room, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like yeah. a bunch of boards and That's paper. That's hilarious. Um, and TMNT number one is created and intended to be a one shot. A funny book. Got it. Um, Eastman uses his $500 tax return. Laird empties his bank account of $200, and the pair borrowed $1,300 from Eastman's uncle to print a, a initial print run of 3,000 copies of the book. And after printing, they had just enough money left over to run a little ad in Comic Buyer's Guide magazine. I remember that magazine. Which was sent out to all of the, the, as the name title, or as the title suggests, sent out to all the comic shop buyers so they could see what was coming out. Yep. Um, and for some reason, it really clicks. The ad seems to work. And throughout the first couple weeks, the duo sells all 3,000 copies. They have enough to do a second run of 6,000 copies. And um, they do the first print run in March. And by the end of May, they're able to pay off Eastman's uncle and they decide that's crazy hey we're we're not we're not going to do a one shot this seems to be a thing so uh, I'll tell you guys a secret if I remember correctly I got my copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 at Dave's Comics on Williams and State in Ann Arbor Michigan and it was recommended to me by the guy who worked there I had no idea what it was but it was so funky and weird he's like dude I came in the comic shop you know it's new, like new comic Thursday or whatever you know got my three bucks my dude's like here's the book you need and i was like what the hell are you talking about do you still Trust have me. it no I, I sold it all <gasps> so i sold a, a run no. i had i only had like the first nine issues but i sold them for with all my comics for like 200 bucks at one point like a shit oh my of, god yeah i got it totally robbed isn't but. it worth like a shit ton of money now uh first print of number one is worth four thousand dollars and it, it makes sense there's oh, only three thousand no. of them and probably you know a lot of those have been destroyed at this point yeah so. and it's really random i've seen a signed copy sell i'm not kidding you this was a couple years ago we were looking around a signed copy of number one first print signed by uh eastman and laird twenty five thousand dollars i believe it oh my goodness that yep. hurts my chest so right the studio decides that they are the uh, e- the studio being eastman and laird yeah. decide they're, they're going to keep it running so team and t ran under mirage studios from 1984 to 1995 for 75 regular issues, and they did a bunch of miniseries in there and a ton of spinoffs. And also they were inviting other creators to come in at the time and help contribute to this. And it, it was a pretty big deal for the <laughs> Into game. Laird's living room. Yeah, like, exactly. Yes, come to my studio. <laughs> um, and then after uh, they, they sold the rights to Archie Comics. Now they were still working on the book together, but Archie Comics runs another 72 issues from 1988 to 1995, and this part here is what I find particularly interesting. In 1996, they agreed to let Image Comics do a 13-issue miniseries of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, before they, it ended up being canceled in 1999. While at Image, the series took like the weirdest turn. Splinter turns from a rat into a bat. Well, you just change one letter. It's, that's exactly right. So that makes sense. Um, Donatello tur- was a cyborg Of course. Robot. And uh, Leonardo lost a hand, and Raphael, in some weird fate, became the Shredder. That's um, so weird. Yeah, this really bothers Laird. Yeah, no, it's bothering me yeah. now, finding out about it. And he it. ends up yeah. buying back the Turtles and bringing them to Mirage in 2001, and does not consider anything that happened to Image Comics canon in any way. The two guys are like, Eastman and Laird will not talk about it, they yeah. don't recognize it as... TMNT canon, it does not exist. So I think more people should flush stuff that sucks down the toilet (laughs) and pretend it never happened. Like there's no RoboCop 3, episodes 1, 2, and 3. I'm cool with pretending they never happened. Jar Jar who? Exactly. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, And then since uh, back in Mirage, up until 2010, 2011, Curtis's famed run, IDW, his favorite run, uh, pops up. And that's where we are at today. God, it's such a good comic book run. 
Now, Curtis, this team and Tebow kind of sparked a little, it put a little fire into the indie revolution that was taking place in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, this book at, at its height, Turtles, I think it was issue eight, so what I was reading, sold 135,000 copies for a black and white, independently published comic. That's a staggering amount of books. So uh, Kevin and Peter are feeling really good. Uh, they're selling some books. Yeah, the success of this book definitely spawns a kind of a small press revolution. Cerebus is selling like crazy. That's another independently published comic. Uh, that book goes on to be the longest published, independently published, I should say, comic book ever, 300 issues. Wow. Um, and I noticed it at the comic shop at Dave's. There was absolutely, all of a sudden, uh, you had a bunch of imitators of the Turtles, uh, most famously, of course, is the adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters, but there were others. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, it just uh, kicked into overdrive the thought that there could be publishers other than Marvel and DC in a black and white comic was weird. Turtles was the first black and white comic that I ever bought. Like, I'd never even seen a comic without color. What, what mm. the heck is this? This is so crazy. And this is definitely tied into like their love, like a lot of zap. Previously Absol- was yes. black and white, mm-hmm. and Laird is in, Laird and Eastman are in that culture. Definitely. They're in that indie culture already, so it's not too far of a jump for them. But as far as like a quote unquote mainstream comic, black and white was not not a thing. No, 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 no. And and this was definitely presented as an underground comic. Now we all know it as this mainstream cartoon and candy and you know Happy Meals and all this stuff. But no, it was absolutely presented, and it was pretty hardcore. You know, it's, it's important to mention that it was at least PG-13. Like, people are getting chopped up with swords. There's swear words. Like, it's, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't a, a kid's comic like They're the ninjas. TV show. They're ninjas. They will chop your head off. Right. Yeah. But um, then there is this kind of softening of the franchise. So when a lot of us, you know, I'm 29. Mm-hmm. When I think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'm thinking of a van that shoots pizzas. Yes. Right, because that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. But that something happened there to make... My generation think of that and not this chopped up, super violent, swearing ninjas. Well, and that's the thing. So, you know, you're going to make a show for TV, you, you, the demographic changes. I mean, it's it's 13 and up uh, on the in the comic books, but then it goes to literally the target audience for the TV show was four and up. Yeah. So you really got to make some changes. Um, you know, and I was digging in this to, into this to see, like, how intense these conversations were. And Eastman and Leard were were conscious of this you know, changing their their baby, but they also, you know, conceded and thought, okay, cool, we've got an opportunity, let's sell this thing. We can. They still maintained creative control of their comic books, and so at the end of the day, that's that's kind of what they came to is like, hey, we'll let the cartoon do its thing. We, they still had some input there, but they also could do willy nilly whatever they wanted in comic book land, yeah, which is cool. I'm sure. I mean, they also once the TV train got rolling. I'm, you know, that's that's money that comic creators can only dream of. Yeah, that's a career. That's that's money. Right. Yeah. No, and that that's worth uh, mentioning. I mean, as much money as they were making selling the comic books, uh, this was a whole new world for them. And it, you know, the comic, the cartoon ran for, a, a, I feel like a pretty long time. Oh man, I was looking into this. I did not realize this. We're we're at 18 years of Ninja Turtles cartoons. 18 years. It started in 1987. With some breaks here or there, it's still going. Now, there's an active Turtles cartoon now. Are we still allowed to call them Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I, I think we, they're, they're like full-grown grown. adult they don't, Ninja they don't Turtles. Age. Yeah. No, they don't. They're, they're mutants. No. But, you know, as this all happens and, and Eastman and Laird, are they, they have an interesting relationship throughout this kind of transformation in these years of TMNT. What, what's going on with them, Rachel, after the TMNT craze? Yeah. Fame like that can't last forever, which kind of sucks because they're both really, really awesome people and they created a really awesome franchise. But that was the issue is that they literally created a multimedia franchise overnight. Nobody had any idea that they would get so popular so quickly. And actually, they both had to frequently take sabbaticals from making the comics just to deal with the pressure of a career which neither of them really had any training or preparation for. Um, and in the end, Eastman ended up moving from Massachusetts, where you know he and Peter lived very close to each other, um, out to California with his wife, and like he had a kid. Um, and Laird stayed behind in Massachusetts, and they just straight up stopped hanging out. 
um, which sucks because like that's that's how they created all of their stuff. Um, and the two of them went through a lot together, but in the end, Eastman sold out most of his shares to Laird in uh, 2000, and then in 2008, he ended up selling what little he had left because he was just too tired and like he couldn't make any more. Um, but in 2011, Eastman started working again as a writer and as an artist for the IDW series, um, and he's had his hand in the pot for the you know the that sad sad 2014 reboot. Um, but if you think about it, TMNT has had a lot of stuff besides the comics. Oh man, I was researching this and I knew this, but it was the third biggest, uh, franchise for toys for, uh, like 15 years behind G.I. Joe and Star Wars. It was G.I. Joe, Star Wars, Turtles. I believe it. Like 15 years. It's $400 billion in Turtles toy (laughs) merchandise sales since they started merchandising it. It's just it's just crazy to think about. There's five movies, six if you count the CG film, and it's a spoof. There's 25 video games, you guys. Turtles in Time for NES was my absolute <laughs> shit growing up as yeah. a kid. So the Turtles game on this on the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, sold over four million copies. Yeah, it's the biggest non-Nintendo game on the Nintendo. It sold more copies than any game. Other than like the big Nintendo Mario's and Zelda's. it was amazing. That's how it was a great game. Yeah, um, one of my favorite things about Eastman, he's he, when you listen to some of his interviews, especially in the '90s, he's kind of a cocky guy. Sure, you know. But one of the great things he did is because he had these indie roots, he ended up buying Heavy Metal magazine. Yeah, um, and kind of gave that magazine a, a breath of, of fresh air, and. Um, Thank goodness he did. The dude is just such a champion of independent comics still to this day. And the the money and the resources that he dumped into heavy metal, I don't know if we'd have a heavy metal magazine anymore if it yeah. wasn't for Kevin Eastman. It's a, yeah, who, you know, who, he, who knows? Yep. He doesn't, he's not a majority share owner of it anymore, but he's still a producer for it. And the dude was just so passionate about bringing indie European comics to the United States. And he could do it because of his success with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Um, so just want to wrap up real quick. What would you guys think about TMNT Universe number one? Oh, I, I, w- I was in love with it. So this picks up right where IDW left off. You know, they've wrapped up a lot of story arcs. And this is a perfect jumping on point for new readers, I think. But also, if you've been following the IDW run, absolutely keep going with this. If you haven't, I encourage you. It's all collected in trade paperbacks. Give it a look. If you were a Turtles fan, a Laps Turtles fan, if you haven't, you liked it in other mediums, haven't done the comics, the IDW run is where it's at. That's yeah. where to start. It's great art. Uh, just loved it, man. The writing was awesome. Yeah. It was so good. All of the one-liners. It was hilarious. I thought the April O'Neil, Baxter, Stockman, not to get too nerdy, but these are longtime Turtles characters. Baxter Stockman is like this scientist who's kind of a prick, and he's sort of a weasel, too. And uh, April O'Neil is like the first, what, maybe the first human to know of the turtles? Yeah. You know? So there's some long history there. And the conversation that they have. Yeah. Where April's just like, look here, mother trucker. That was some good stuff. She just lays into him about how he's the scum of the earth. Yeah, I was about it. Yeah. For me, they really hooked me in the beginning of the book. Michelangelo and Donatello are having a conversation about the pros and cons of using a bow staff or a nunchuck. Oh, that's pretty good. And <laughs> Two sticks with chains. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's really great. And it just, they, for me, my like my memory of the turtles is the, the suit movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I watched Secret of the Use probably 50 times. I watched one and two last night, you guys. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're still great. They're still great. Yeah. Number one is an awesome, awesome movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But- for me, like that's that's my foundation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so I find it really interesting. I find it really great that Curtis, you grew up reading the comic. You're in love with this book. You feel like it really connects with the turtles. I grew up watching the movies and the TV show, yep. and these turtles are just as familiar to me. Um, and that's really, I think, the biggest strength of this franchise is that it connects. And like they do some pretty weird stuff in this book. They, this is a little bit more towards the PG-13 end agreed, of things. Agreed, agreed. Mm-hmm. But, but it doesn't totally throw out the cowabunga either. Exactly. And it's still got that thread of goofball kids oh, cartoon. Yeah. They're but... fighting a giant scorpion lady. Yeah. Yeah. The cowabunga is so important for me. Yeah. All righty. I never got the pizza launcher, man. 
I, I, you know. Oh, I own that. You, oh, really? Yeah, I got it. The original pizza launcher? Yep. Oh, shit. It's in my parents' basement. Cool. Yeah, sweet. I'll pull Can it out. Can we launch some it. pizzas? Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it out. Good All God, right. I want pizza right now. Uh, guys, I just played one of the greatest board games last week, and I would like to, Curtis, if you wouldn't mind, moseying over past the beanbag chair, clipping on the lava lamp, because I'd like to enter the board game corner. All right. When was the last time this happened? In a while. Do we do we have to t- take it down like when we talk? Do we yes. have to talk like this? It's silent voices in the board game room. I see. You must strategize. Excuse, hold on one second. Let me. Okay, I'm vaseline up my feet. <laughs> oh, 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 God. And, oh, uh, oh, he is. Oh. And now I'm ready. Thank you. So, so guys, uh, I played the most amazing game. It's from Haba Games. It's called Rhino Hero. I'm always on the hunt for a great all-ages game. Okay. Because in the shop, we get a lot of requests. People come in like, hey, I have a you know younger brother or sister. Um, I, I, you know, it's summertime. I want to get a game for my kids. We're a bunch of grownups. We don't bu- have the time to read anything. We're going to get drunk. <laughs> exactly. And you I got was, any baby games? Yeah. yeah. Rhino Hero fits all of those categories. Nice. Um, so the gist of Rhino Hero is you are trying to build a stack, a tower of cards. Oh. Competitively. You're trying to build a Rhino Tower. tower. Yep. Yep. And so what happens is uh, every turn you set up a base for your tower, and every turn you lay a card as the roof of the se- of your tower segment. Okay. And depending on what symbol is on your roof piece, uh, the person who goes next, there will be some effect on them. So you're building just one big tower. It's not Correct. two separate towers. You're building okay. one giant tower. All the players. Yep. Got it. And on the top of the roof cards, there's little diagrams on how you have to put the the walls, the next wall section. Ew. So you're folding the wall cards and then putting them on to create this this weird abstract tower. So you're not it's not like cards from a playing card deck. You're folding things? Yes. The walls are folded in half. I see. So it just depends on the orientation of those half cards. Okay. Um, but the really neat thing about it is you can lay a card that has the rhino hero symbol on it. And what that means is the person that goes on after you has to move this little wooden figure up the tower mm. to that spot, which is pretty tricky. Um, I played with three other adults, um, and we played for quite some time. I think it's a great game. It's I, I'm really interested right now in games that can be played with children and adults and still have some appeal. Mm. So recently I've played this Rhino Hero. I've also played a game by uh, from Mayday Games called Click Clack Lumberjack. Oh, that's the one that where you're chopping cute. wood. Yeah, you're hitting a big tree trunk and trying to knock pieces of wood off it with a big fake axe. And both of these games are just so appealing. Um, I'm always worried when I pull out a game from Haba with a, with a group of adults. Just because like that age number, that abstract age number is right. on there and that scares me away. But... We could only get our Rhino Hero Tower to 11 stories, and I'll be damned if we didn't try for an hour to try to get that 12th story while playing And that's how you win. You go 12? The person who knocks the tower over instantly loses. Ah. After that, it's whoever has the least amount of cards in their hand Got is, it. is the winner. I see. Um, we had an absolute blast. It, I This game is is just... I think it's a side. Haba's been coming out with a lot of these games that are appealing to literally all ages. Um, and I, I think Rhino Hero is just a great example of it. Um, and I, I highly encourage everyone to pick it up. It is just a wonderful, wonderful game. And it comes in a, a box that's maybe four times the size of your regular deck of cards. I see. Mm-hmm. So it's a great game to just throw in the bag and uh, and you're on your way. The only thing I will say about it is I do wonder, because you have to fold the wall cards in half, Mm -hmm. I wonder about, as you play the game more and more, do these wall cards kind of, the crease start to break down. wear and tear. Yeah. Mm. The durability of them all. Also, because of it, you can't sleeve the the game. Um, And I'm I'm a big proponent of, of... Keeping your board games crisp. Not this one. But not Rhino Hero. But that being said, it's it's a very affordable game, and uh, I can't recommend it enough. I'm totally in love with it. Well, it that. sounds lovely. I love games where you build anything. Yeah. You know, you build stuff, stack stuff, chop stuff, a physical <laughs> component the last to three, a game. I like that. Yeah, the last three games that I've been really into are Dice Tower, um, Click Clack Lumberjack, and now Rhino Hero. And they're all games mm-hmm. that have some form of dexterity involved with them. And uh, it's just, it's really, uh, I think we're 
They're all smaller little games. So talk to me about the Rhino connection here. Why why Rhino Hero? Well, it's just he's a little superhero that happens to be like an anthropomorphic Rhino man. Okay, got it. And he it. wears a little cape. Now, the Rhino Hero, you would think, is a negative. You don't want to put the Rhino Hero up. Mm-hmm. But you have to put him in this little circle on the card. Okay. But we found that, like, you could move him on that circle to try to balance out your tipping tower because he weighs quite a bit right and so the rhino hero is both if you're trying to mess someone up and get him to drop the tower because you have a low amount of cards or if you have a ton of cards and need the game to keep going you can pass that rhino to the next person to try to get him to stabilize the tower so it's 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 a simple game but it does have a little bit of depth behind it okay um and i can't wait to play it with you guys i'm just very, very much in love with that. And I don't want to play with a bunch of kids because, like, you knock down the tower and, like, you don't know how to, like, build shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm out. I don't know. I was playing with a bunch of 20-somethings that were drinking beer, and I think it was kind of the same yeah, that's, situation. Yeah, that's God. essentially just very large toddlers. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Super Skull. Our producer is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull podcast on iTunes. It really, really helps us out a lot. And thank you very much to the people who already have done it. Yeah, here's thanking you in advance for following us on Twitter, Instagram, and checking out our website at the Super Skull Show. You can find us everywhere on the internet searching for Super Skull Show. Super Skull is brought to you by Volta Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name's Marcus Schwimmer. I'm Cowboy Curtis. And I'm Rachel Polk. And we wish you good cowabunga. Until next oh week. Oh my god. try to keep it loosey-goosey today okay let's keep it loose but tight can we do tight, can we do <laughs> tight, tight loose but, but- <laughs> <laughs> how to keep it butthole tight yeah